don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. You're not going to like meet someone today and get married tomorrow. It's not going to happen. We dialed in with Neil Schaefer, who joined us via Skype call all the way from the US. Now, Neil is an industry leader in both social media marketing and influencer marketing, and he's been recognized by the likes of Buffer, Forbes, and many other major publications. What made this conversation so interesting is that Neil isn't an influencer in the traditional sense, albeit is somebody with a tremendous amount of influence who has used this to really help businesses. And we spoke to Neil about how influencer marketing and a relationship with a brand should be like a marriage, and also that the mistrust around influencer marketing might not always be the influencer's fault, and maybe more the responsibility of the brands they work with. 90% of people are just lurkers, 9% are engagers, 1% are actually content creators. All this and more, coming up. Do we need to reconsider our approach to influencer marketing? And do you think that the bubble is about to burst? So uh, those are great questions. And uh, I have a few data points I like to add of, um, you know, what real companies are doing vis-a-vis influencer marketing today. Because if you just read blogs, uh, you might be led astray where either influencer marketing is the next best thing since sliced bread or it's this huge bubble and everybody's losing money and it's going to burst. So I, I think, first of all, you know, how we define influencer marketing is very, very interesting because I talk with companies that don't believe in influencer marketing, yet they firmly believe in the concept of influence that there are uh, people or organizations or people within organizations that influence by uh, decisions and, and therefore uh, their influencers. And, and really, you know, my definition of influencer marketing, and I do believe that, you know, whenever people, if you were to ask a marketer or someone, what do you think of, you know, influencer marketing, they immediately think of the YouTuber, they think of the Instagrammer, mm. they think of the people with, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. And when I go to these people's profiles, they're not all like this, but many of them are already models. They're already in TV shows or movies. These are celebrities, right? These are celebrities that have social media profiles or influencers that became celebrities. So I'm talking about everybody else, right? Uh, people that are uh, content creators, uh, they are uh, active in social media, active creating content, and they built communities around uh, the content that they've created, basically. So it could be Instagram, it could be YouTube, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Twitter, it could be a blog, right? Uh, it could be SlideShare, it could be Pinterest. So when you look at it that way, and when you look at declining algorithms in terms of, uh, you know, social media finally coming back to the fact that it was made for people and not for businesses, and every single social network algorithm will continue to favor people over business, right? So when, when you think of it that way and how can businesses get heard, and, you know, it was really, and I know you're in the UK and I'm in the US, obviously, but it was really Lush UK, which just a few months ago said, you know what, we're going to pull the plug in organic social mm-hmm. and we're going to let people talk for us. And I think that that's a really... I don't know if I recommend every company do that, but I think that's sort of a sign of the times that really, you know, brand perception. And at the end of the day, if you consider social media paid media, 
then maybe that's the way to relook at it. But if you still think it's an organic media, then you're not going to be successful today unless you are collaborating with others. And the people you collaborate with, I would call influencers, whether they're, you know, they have small, you know, niche local communities or they have huge global communities. They are content creators. They have a somewhat of a, you know, online presence. They have somewhat of a community and they're people that you can find a way to collaborate with. So you now fast forward to just a few days ago where Amazon announced a new fashion brand that was launched by an influencer. And we already see this in China where most of the new uh, fashion brands, uh, well, I, I won't say most of the new ones, but uh, most of the, the popular ones uh, that are selling online were actually launched by influencers. And, and this is the ultimate way to collaborate with an influencer. We're not just going to pimp you to like, you know, publish our image. Uh, we want to work together with you, right? We want to get input as to what we should be creating. Uh, let's create product together because you have an audience that's probably 10 times bigger than our audience on social media. So that's mm -hmm. where I think we're going and it'll take a while to get there. Um, but it, by no means has the bubble burst. Um, there's always this uh, concept of fake influence. And I do believe that um, companies and social networks and algorithms and with the emergence of AI and machine learning uh, and the tools that are available, companies are getting better, better realizing who has fake influencers, who has fake engagement. So, uh, but that's going to continue. People are always going to try to dupe the system. And, you know, um, people collaborate. I mean, listen to any podcast on Instagram marketing, on Pinterest marketing, they all have these hacks of how do we get other people to like engage with us, right? Do we send them DMs? Do we tag them on a post? Maybe we find people that like we create our own little pod, right? And we all like comment on each other's posts. Marketers, you know, and solopreneurs and, and you know, people have been doing this forever and they're not going to stop. So it's impossible to completely stop that. But I think it's time for companies to tap into this concept of, hey, let's collaborate, right? We don't want to mm -hmm. try to sell to you. We don't want to pay you like you're an ad unit, but we want to truly collaborate. And it's, it's still going to take time for companies to get there. Um, but, you know, we see more and more companies actually hiring influencers to be part of their in-house agency or in-house team. They're starting to look more of, of uh, a title like influencer relations or valuing influencer relationships. So I think slowly that's where we're going. So, you know, if, if you're new to influencer marketing, this is where I want you to start. If you've dabbled in it and haven't really been successful, you just sort of blindly threw money because your agency told you to, which surprisingly, I still find that the case for a lot of uh, pretty mm -hmm. famous companies, you know, take a step back because yeah. it, it should be really, really strategically important. And I think it becomes, you know, a mainstream Sorry, someone's at the door here. Yeah, right. And it becomes a, <laughs> it becomes a, a, a you know, a, a mainstream component of the marketing mix today. Mm -hmm. uh, B2C companies are already there. B2B are, are just starting to figure this out. But that's sort of, that's sort of the lay of the land uh, from what I see in terms of, you know, influencer marketing today. Mm. And so, so following on from that, do you think that anyone has the scope to be an influencer in their own right? Because now we're seeing now, obviously, the scale goes from like your celebrity and your mega influencers down to macro and then mid tier and then nano. nano yeah. And, and like, so if anyone could be an influencer, will we even have these terms anymore? Well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, in, in, in my, you know, I'm writing a book on the topic of influencer marketing called The Age of Influence. So, yeah, I have this one chapter. How do you define the different tiers? Because at the end of the day, if you are a, a, a business owner, a marketer, and you want to reach out to influencers, you need a system, right? You need a method mm -hmm. to the madness. So definitely organizing people in terms of their community size is a very, very convenient way to organize, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, the tiers, there's no one definition. Ask 
five people, what's the minimum to be a micro-influencer? And they're going to give you different numbers. Some will say 5,000, some will say 10,000, some will say 50,000, right? And that is going to change over time. But what's important, though, is that, you know, can anyone be an influencer? Well, you need to be a content creator. You need to have an audience, and you need to have an audience that listens, right? So you need to be online. You need to be creating content. You need to have followers, and then you need to have followers that engage with you. Mm -hmm. I don't think... I don't think I don't think anybody and everybody's going to become a content creator. And I think that, you know, what's the stat? 90% of people are just lurkers, 9% are engagers, 1% are actually content creators. Mm-hmm. So you're still looking at the 1%, but guess what? Internet users, social media users are growing and growing. We have younger demographics that are uh, are, are are you know with global demographics and increases in population under the age of 35. And uh, these people being digital natives and social media first, you, you still see this you know, upward spike in number of social media users globally. So mm. you're still going to have more and more influencers out there. But, you know, to answer your question, yes, anybody can be an influence because anyone can yield influence. Right. Um, but not everybody is going to want to or will yield influence because you need to be a content creator. And mm. there are some that are pure content curators. So there are some Instagram accounts that every day to share a post from someone else. And they've been able to actually build a community from that. So there are outliers out there. Um, I don't I don't believe those people really provide much value, in all honesty. Um, but they build a community that a lot of marketers want to tap into. So, you know, congrats, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, anybody anybody might be able to. Because guess what? Five years ago, these people weren't even on Instagram. Uh, yeah. And here we are. So uh, that just speaks to the point. But, you know, content creation is sort of a special skill, right? And being able to tell a story as from marketer's perspective. We know that not everybody can do that well. So it, it takes something to be able to sync and, and really get people to engage. But it also teaches us that we as humans engage more more with other humans, right? And this mm. is the challenge for brands. How do you engage with people when you're a logo, when you're a brand? And mm. if you're an iconic brand like Virgin or Lush or what have you, then you're going to get engagement. But if you're not, uh, it, it's going to be very hard as, as a brand to be able to build that emotional connection with a person that other people can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to say, Neil, that's, that's such a great point. Where does this leave brands at the moment? What is the implication for them? Because we see a lot of brands are trying to become more human and maybe not necessarily taking, you know, doing that through the influencer route, but they're trying to be more human in the way they speak on social. And do you see that there's a sort of, it still feels a bit inauthentic when it's not done through that influencer route? Yeah, you know, um, humanization in sort of social media marketing has been, I've heard that term for almost a decade now, right? And it's because the more human you are, the idea is that the more engagement you get and therefore your organic social will become better and better. Oh, Someone took a snapshot. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, so yeah, so um, absolutely. Uh, th- that trend is still there, but you're trying to buck the greater trend, which says that the algorithms are always going to favor people. And sometimes it's very hard for brands to pull that off. Right. Uh, it, it, it doesn't sound authentic. And it, you know, it, it's funny when I go to social media and marketing conferences and they look at best practices of brands on social media it's often brands that are talking to each other, right? It's like Taco Bell, how to fight with Wendy's. And and I'm thinking, this is like marketers in a bubble, right? This is not common people um, that are engaged. It's just two social media managers talking to each other. And it's always fast food. (laughs) And it's always fast food, right? Which we're all trying to cut out of our diet. So so, so yeah, um, I I do think that, you know, I do love Lush's approach and let other people talk for you. That's, you know, people believe recommendations from people they trust. 
um, and, and let the recommendations flow. So I think the role, you know, it, it, it comes from looking at social media as less of a way to market to people, more of a way to collaborate with people. And through the collaboration comes the marketing. Uh, that's sort of the new concept that I'm trying to teach. And I think that brands, the more they do that, and sure, if you, have one, if you want to have an organic account, you should. And I would say that companies need to still do organic social media from a customer experience perspective, right? Mm. So when you look at the customer experience perspective, what does the role of social media become? It might just become a customer support channel, answering questions, fielding complaints, being there and making it easy for, for people to connect with you, right? And to share their, their you know, feelings about their experiences with you. And sure, you can repost those feelings or repost influencer posts, uh, which I think that a lot of social media going forward for organic uh, social for brands, I believe that's more the direction that that they're going to go. And really, I mean, it, it comes down to, and I, I think I first asked this at a presentation I did a few months ago, what is the relationship that social media users want with your brand, right? So brands, they want to market to people, yet they're trying to build a community. Um, do people want a community when you're looking through your newsfeed, do you really want to engage with promos from a brand or do you want to keep in touch with friends? And I think every brand really needs to sit back and answer that question. Uh, what are you trying to do? What's the relationship that people want with you? And if you can't answer that, it's really time to rethink what the hell you're doing. You know, take, put a pause in the editorial calendar, take a step back. And when you look at the lay of the land, you realize the power that influencers can have, um, especially when you consider um you know, the, the the tactic that companies have used up until now is, okay, we'll just put more money into paid social. But those paid social budgets are becoming so big that let's take, you know, half of that and put it in influencers, right? Mm -hmm. And let's measure how we do, because at least Facebook and Instagram are allowing you more and more to tag influencers in your posts or in your collaborations and, and you know, uh, boost their posts and, and get measurements. So you can actually do, you know, apple to apple comparisons now. And that's, I think, the first step is compare your paid media with influencer media uh, and see how you do and really go from there. Yeah. Speaking about Facebook and Instagram, so obviously Instagram has brought out a load of new features recently, one of which being the option to purchase directly from influencers, from the creators. And what do you think the implication will be for influ influencer marketing as a whole uh, from that then? Because they're sort of cutting out brands, aren't they? It's sort of cutting out the middleman. Well, brands will have stores there too. So I, I think it's great for everybody. Uh, it just makes it more immediately purchasable. Mm. And those brands that want to work together with Instagram, I think will do better. I mean, you know, um, it, it's, it, we've toyed with this idea of sort of like social commerce. Uh, I think they called it F commerce like six years ago, but it never flew. Mm. But I think we're at the point now where digital natives are so great in number and we're so used to buying things online that uh, there's more and more people that actually want that feature. So I think you need to think of the users, make it easy for them. And there's always people that do need your purchases. You know, I when I see something in an Instagram ad, I'll go on Amazon and find it, you know, $10 cheaper on Amazon. And I realize, okay. It's it's you know uh, it, it's arbitrage that these people are are posting something more expensive, but you get the knee jerk person that'll buy it, and that's the profit. So it it you know it brings up a lot of different uh, business models, but I think the brands can have stores on there, and I think it's going to make it even more important for brands to work with influencers so that there's more shoppable posts of your product on Instagram. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you know, I, I see, um, you know, I, I've seen it with YouTube creating, you know, sort of free studios for content creators. We've seen Facebook do things. I know Instagram about two months 
introduced their content creator account and I got an invite and I never had a business account, but I immediately went for the content creator account. At the end of the day, for uh, these sites to survive, they need content creators, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and therefore, I do believe that a lot of what they're doing, some of what Instagram announced at F8 was more for like privacy and, you know, bullying of teenagers, what have you. But part of it all is also if we can fuel more content creators to do more um, and if they actually want to sell their own products, a lot of content creators have affiliate relationships or influencer relationships that's only actually going to help the ecosystem. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a great thing. And I think, you know, like anything else, don't complain. You got to adapt, right? Times are changing and we've, you know, we're already in social media marketing 2.0. This isn't, we've been doing this for a decade. I mean, you used to have to create a Facebook page using something called FBML, Facebook markup language, which no longer exists. So it's always changing, just fasten your seatbelt and go with the times because the roller coaster is <laughs> going to go up and down. But <laughs> get that, right? And and they, they accept and they thrive on the change and they adapt that are going to be successful. And the ones that complain, oh my God, my posts don't get any more engagement. Well, guess what? Your posts suck. Your content sucks. It's, it's called social media Darwinism, right? Only the strong content are going to survive. Get used to it. Study, you know, hire influencers to teach you how to create better content. Do what you need to do, but you got to get with the times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm keen, I'm keen to know as well, Neil, we, we mentioned social commerce. Going slightly sidestep, you've been in the US. Have you had a chance to play around with Instagram checkout yet? Because we've not got it yet in the UK. No. And whenever, I hate when social networks make these announcements. It's always like we just started with beta rollout with like 10 big mm. brands. Yeah, yeah. These are not mainstream by any means. So I always, you know, until I see it in my feed, I don't really talk about it in all honesty because sure. it, it's not there yet. And they're also testing it and they're going to optimize it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I forgot where they're doing it right now, but no, I have not yet experienced it. And to be honest with you, I, you know, personally, I don't know how much I would buy on Instagram. Uh, but I know that there are certain demographics that would probably be more uh, of target audience for that, that, that mm. would probably buy a lot. I definitely will. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> like, maybe for me as well. One one thing that I believe is getting a uh, worldwide rollout, uh, rollout back to the um, conversation of influencers is the uh, branded content ads, which essentially, as we know, are influencer posts, but they can be sent out as ads. So even influencers, I suppose the three of us don't follow Will start appearing in our feeds. Um, yeah, so this is something they did with face Facebook rolled it out uh, one or two years ago. So the idea is that hey, um, you know, there, there's two things they're trying to do here. Well, three things actually. Number one, boost advertising revenue because a lot of brands want to boost the posts of their influencers to their own audience. So that that's number one. Um, number two, they want to create a little bit of transparency that says this post was actually uh, authorized through through work with a brand. There's a mm. there's a monetary component here that everyone looking at this post should be aware of. Um, and then number three, just make it easier for marketers to actually see how well these posts perform. So it's basically saying I'm going to work with an influencer and we're going to create a special t- uh, branded tag relationship. That requires you from your dashboard to invite them, from your ads manager, invite them, they accept. And therefore, their posts in which you're tagged, uh, you're going to be able to get access to the analytics on those and also be able to boost those posts to your audience. So it's a, it's a fantastic idea. It, it kills three birds with one stone. I don't know why the other networks uh, haven't done this yet. Really, it was Facebook the first and on Instagram the second being owned by Facebook. So yeah, I think they're, they're great things. But it also means for influencers that your your data is going to be exposed, right? So 
if you have a million followers and you're only getting three likes on that post, uh, it's going to show up really clearly in the analytics. So it also brings another layer of transparency because at the end of the day, every brand, when they work with an influencer, we'd love to get access to all that data, right? How many people is the content reaching in the post? How many are actually engaging? How many clicks did we get off that and what have you? And that's going to bring that transparency. So I think that's the direction that this is going to go um, in general, right? Uh, and I think it makes sense for all parties, but it does mean that influencers have to be able to, you know, uh, they have to be able to perform. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to prove who actually yields influence. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. you saw recently, there was a story in the news about an Instagram influencer who launched a clothing brand off the back of her following on Instagram, which is pretty, pretty big. Um, and she had to shut it down because she found that she couldn't actually even sell 36 t-shirts. That's like what she needed to sell to be wow. able to restock and she and she couldn't, she didn't make that. So she had to do a massive post like apologizing and just had to shut it down. But then like, obviously there was a lot of attention on that saying, well, this this person's been earning money from brands and calling herself an influencer. Yeah. But when it came yeah. down to it, she couldn't actually get people to take action on what she was selling. Yeah, and you know, I... Uh, I, it's really easy for the skeptics to jump on that. For me, it's like, is this person a strong business person? Did they vet that their audience buy t-shirts? Was yeah. the, did the t-shirts look cool to this audience? I mean, there's so many things that go into that and, you know, ask any successful entrepreneur and they'll tell you they failed ton time. So, mm. um, I, I take a step back and go, okay, you know, whatever, for the fact that this person was public and mention that, I think that um, that actually takes a lot of balls, using an American term here. Um, and uh, that actually speaks to their confidence in their influence. And they could actually go out and say that because if you didn't have true influence, you'd almost be not saying anything and just leave town, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and, and you're gonna have situations like that. But once again, these are content creators, they're not business people. Uh, some are gonna be successful, some aren't for various reasons. I mean, timing is part of it as well. So, so who knows? That's it, Neil. I, I completely agree with with you and Eve there. There, there is a sort of uh, influencer marketing. I think in, in many contexts, it's known for attracting a sort of naivety. So especially in the UK, and I'm sure it's in America, um, you will, you know, get a lot of uh, teenagers, bloggers and stuff who've become influencers. And I know there have been many instances where we've we've got the ASA, I think it's the FTC for you, where they've had to step in and sort of say, mm. you know, this isn't... Uh, suddenly you're an advertiser. You, you become an advertiser. Yeah, exactly. We had somebody on the, the podcast a while ago. So it's... Uh, I wonder if that's contributed to the kind of mistrust that surrounds... As well as the fraud, but that mistrust that surrounds influencer marketing. Although I'd say that it does feel like we're coming out of that period now. And yeah, hopefully. Things are starting to get a bit more yeah, level. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, what, what about the mistrust that people have of big brands and big companies, right? Let's start there. <laughs> so, <laughs> people actually trust influencers. People are following them. They're engaging with their content, right? They're, they're eating up what they have to say. They are the new media. So when you look at it that way, the mistrust in influencer marketing is more of, you know, if we are paying someone to post something on our behalf, we need to tell the people that's the law that those are that is what you know regulates uh, how we communicate with each other and brands need to tell this to influencers right i mean on a small scale i also work with brands as an influencer as uh, some of the stuff i do is like blog content and at the very bottom i'll say this is a sponsored post on behalf of my sponsors but this is you know the opinions are 100% mine i, I absolutely stand behind it um, and i'll have some brands say well we've never done that before can't you just why do you have to say this was a guest or a sponsored post? And I don't work with those companies, right? And I think yeah. that, you know, uh, it, it should be in the interest of the brand to do that. And it should be in the interest of the influencer to be legit with their audience. Uh, and I think that audience, I mean, they can see through it all. I think they'll have a greater trust. 
that's cool. This influencer got this much money to work with this brand. Awesome, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to work against them in any way. Uh, and it does open up that authenticity. It's all in. It's all in the caption, right? It's all in the story they tell. And does it seem authentic or not? And that's why the brands that are the most naive are the brands that do these copy and paste and like, hey, talk about that you're in a. Um, I'm trying to think. What's you're in a Tesco. And you're so excited about the latest Cadbury chocolate for Easter and make sure people seeing that post see that you're both in a Tesco and you have a Cadbury chocolate in your hand. Oh, and make sure that your family's together with you in the photo. It's like, you know, when, when brands treat influencers, like I said, like programmable ad units, that's where the problems happen. So mm -hmm. I think it's about giving a little bit more trust and freedom to influencers, but it's also saying, hey, this has to be legit and we have to tell people about this relationship. And it's just a matter of adding a you know, an, a hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor, whatever it is, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, to me, it just becomes common sense way of, of doing business, you know, on the internet. And, you know, you'll see like on the New York Times app, this is sponsored by so-and-so, you know, sponsored content is nothing new. Syndicated content is nothing new either. So uh, people just have double standards when it comes to social and the skeptics will be skeptics. And, and like I said, this is the blogosphere that brings us up. I think that just like a decade ago, most executives thought that social media was a waste for time, couldn't make money on it. What's the ROI? And now every company is on social. I think that it's also part of the maturing process. And, mm. and a few years from now, we'll be talking less about this. Yeah. So you're saying actually putting, say brands putting more trust in the influencers they work with will in turn bring more trust into influencer marketing because the whole thing will be a bit more transparent. And authentic, right? Yeah. At the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll, it'll work better for the brand. I mean, it's all part of this collaboration. And a collaboration has to be two-sided. I mean, you want to work with a content creator. You want to work with someone that influences a community, yet you want to tell them what they should say to that community when they know their community better and they create way better content than most brands out there. Are you kidding me? So, you know, it's, and it's funny, you know, brand, like all our brands reach out. Oh, and, and a lot of this is like on blog content, but, oh, you know, if you, if you put a link to our website, we'll share the post with our 5,000 Twitter followers. Like, guess what? I have 225,000 Twitter followers. What does that mean to me? Right. What's yeah. the balance of power? What's in it for me? Right. Why would an influencer want to work with you if you're like, you know, these are solopreneurs. They don't want to be controlled by big corporations unless you're going to get a lot of money. So pay them a lot of money. They'll do what you say. It may not be the most successful. You'll feel good. They'll feel good, but it's going to fail. And I think early on, you've seen a lot of failures like that of companies spending mm. a lot of money with really nothing to talk about for those very reasons. Yeah. Key to know the uh, metrics as well, Neil, and, and what you suggested, the metrics that uh, we as agencies and brands follow now with influence marketing because it used to be obviously you'll know yourself and eve uh vanity metrics how many followers have you got how many this have you got but now we've seen that instagram are going to start hiding likes but at the same time on the other sort of side of the pond there's something to be said for you can't really measure the power of influence just by website signups and click-through rates and stuff there's uh it's part of a wider machine isn't it yeah i mean you know i i like to put marketing in a sort of two big silos. It, one is your infrastructure marketing, which is having a website, you know, doing email marketing, doing search engine marketing and social media and influencer becomes part of that. It's, it's a component that you need to do to maintain or increase brand awareness. Right. And, and, and you can try to measure that. What's the ROI of a website? What's the ROI of like moving to a new email marketing software? Sure. You can like, you know, spend as much time as you want on that. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you need to be doing a minimum amount of marketing to be to be known in the market. Right. And that's the infrastructure part that 
fine. Go, go try to spend your time measuring it. But I think you missed the point when you did that. Mm-hmm. I think when you get above and beyond that, when you start to make more strategic investments or large scale investments uh, on an ongoing basis into different programs and influencer marketing being one of them, yes, you should have a way of measuring that. And, you know, for some, it's going to be number of mentions of us in social media. Some, it's going to be comparisons to other brands. For some, it's going to be actual, you know, retail sales. For others, it's going to be actual website visits, or it's going to be, you know, how many people actually went, signed up to our email list. So it really depends on what the objectives are and where you sort of are with your strategy, to be honest with you. So, you know, I don't think there's any unique influencer marketing metrics. They all fit somewhere into general marketing metrics. So however you measure your marketing, there's probably a way you can do that with influencers. And, and really, you know, we could get into like data attribution 101 or revenue attribution 101, but it's the same thing you would have done with TV commercials, which you couldn't measure. But mm. if you focused on certain products in certain regions and you measured this, the uplift compared to other times in other regions, you begin to see that you can do this with social with influencers as well. So uh, I don't think it's anything new, but I think it just requires a new strategic way of thinking, which you have a little bit less control, right? Um, because it's going through influencers, they're going to post at different times, the content's going to be different. It, it can be a little bit scary for marketers, but at the end of the day, you can still measure if you have it set in place where mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're leading uh, influencers into uh, into going a certain direction and, hey, this is our objective, how can you help us reach that objective and then actually find a way to measure that. So mm-hmm. nothing new, same old, uh, different way of thinking about it, but it's, it's all measurable like anything else. But you know, if it's brand awareness, how much of that, you know, do you really want to go overboard and measures is the other question, because part of it has to become part of your infrastructure. Yeah, definitely. Why? I'm curious, why? Why is it do you think that influencers or like people are inherently better storytellers than brands? Well, uh, you know, brands have uh, managers, they have objectives, they get salary from the company. And in general, they have to follow orders. Um, you know, obviously when brands work with agencies, the agencies have a little bit more creative freedom, but at the end of the day, the agencies have to follow orders from the brands who pays their money. There's a monetary relationship there, right? Mm. Content creators are free to do whatever they want, right? And they are the ones that are most keen on discovering what sort of content gets the most engagement, right? They're not going to waste their time on stuff that isn't getting engagement or, or, or doesn't make sense. Uh, and they're people. I mean, they have a, a, a clearly authentic and human approach to everything they do. And that's all they do is mainly content creation, whether it's for themselves or, or working together with brands. So, you know, how many, how many brands have people just dedicated to content creation? I've worked with consumer brands where their advertising department for their, their paper catalogs and website was providing the social team photos for Instagram. Big fail, right? It's like, you're looking like every organic post looks like an ad. So I think, you know, the, the culture sort of breeds that. Can brands replicate that? Sure. Bring content creators in-house. Give them a lot of freedom like you you would have as an influencer. But most brands are just not wired to do that, right? Mm-hmm. For various agencies are more wired to do that. But at the end of the day, they're, they, they still need to get buy-in from that end client. So uh, the agencies become a little bit better, a little bit more freedom, um, but it's still not as much freedom and not as not as authentic and human as that as that person, as that content creator. So mm. that's the way I see that whole spectrum of, of you know authenticity and, and humanism and content creation. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point as well, Neil, that we actually wanted to get onto because now you've got this uh, whole sort of, and again, it's nothing new as I'm, I'm, as I'm sure you'll probably agree, this whole era now of uh, personal branding 
And you know, you've put, you've probably got co companies like IBM and Hewlett Packard and whoever looking within their company and being like, oh, actually, the same people who could be, you know, the advocates, the sort of, you know, bearers of our brand already work for us. They're the experts. And I'd, I'd imagine LinkedIn has got a lot to answer to for that kind of side of influencer marketing or what we call influencer marketing, if it is still that. Yeah, sort of turned employee advocacy, isn't it? Yeah, so I, uh, that's why I say that the concept of influencer marketing is not specific to B2C. It's as relevant to B2B, even nonprofits, even you know NGOs, government organizations. It's the same point that some people have more influence than others. And some of those, that influence comes from their online community, their online presence. So absolutely. And this is the funny thing, that brands always go outside looking for influencers. They never start by looking inside mm. with people that work for the brand, that know the brand, that are already promoting the brand. Uh, to me, it's sort of a slap on the face. Uh, if, if I'm working internally and I see the company working externally with all these people, it's like, well, why did they contact me? I'm right yeah. here. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's where, and, and I think that employee advocacy is, is really interesting because it, it's had a lot of failures. And the, the big reason it fails is because you don't treat employees as influencers. You're treating employees as people that are just going to automatically publish whatever crap you, you throw out there for them to publish. Mm -hmm. No, if you treat them as collaborators the same way, the same concept I've been talking about, it absolutely creates a refreshing experience for the company and for the employees. And that's really the reset that I hope every company that is engaged in employee advocacy will look at because at the end of the day, you want your employees to become more influential and social, right? And the only way to do that is to help them in their process of becoming a better content creator. And you created a program which allows them to do that. So any employee advocacy program should be less about content amplification at the beginning and more about teaching employees personal branding, teaching employees how to become better content creators, giving them more opportunities to do that at your events or internally. And I, I see some companies have already been doing this for several years. And it's funny because as I write my, my book, The Age of Influence, I've had some pushback from some people who have already looked at my manuscript saying, you know what? Uh, there are some companies where if, if we post um, if we post anything about our company, we can get fired. So there are still companies that are very old school. But look, mm. social is a come on, it's a mainstream communication channel. Yes, there's NDAs in place. You can't say anything secret, but you know, talking about the employer is not going to be a how could that be a bad thing? Yeah. If you say something bad about your employer, sure, the the, the social media monitoring tools are going to catch that. And you might be in trouble. You you know, it's common sense. You wouldn't want to do that anyway, right? You don't want to say negative stuff. It doesn't help your personal brand. So it, it all comes down to the fact that, you know, there's still a lot of executives that don't use social media themselves. They've been burned when their kids got, you know, burned on Facebook a decade ago or MySpace 15 years ago. So you still have a lot of old school thought that is really out of whack with where we are today and how mm. people communicate today, right? Yeah. Um, and there's always going to be those sort of, uh, you know, late starters or late bloomers, whatever you want to call them. But the reality of the fact is, you know, if, if, if I was CEO of a company, I would absolutely say, you know what, we understand social media is a mainstream communication channel. We want to be talked about more on social. We're not going to force anything on you, but we want to create a program. We want to treat you as an employee for life. You know, your personal branding is indirectly great branding for our company. Mm -hmm. We want to teach you that. If you want to become a content creator, you know, awesome. Because that employee today might be, 
you know, someone that's going to introduce an employee to you in the future. They might become a buyer of your product in the future at a partner company that could influence purchasing decisions, especially in B2B companies where people go from one company to another in these mm-hmm. industry ecosystems. I mean, you don't want to burn any bridges and you want to, you want to help people. And I think that's going to do really, really good for companies and, and their employer branding or whatever, whatever things HR people talk about today, the buzzwords. But <laughs> you know, I've already had companies reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, we want you to publish content on our behalf on LinkedIn. So I think that brands are finally opening up to the concept of B2B influencer marketing on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has not done anything yet, um, but clearly content by people published on LinkedIn, I'm almost going to say it's as, you know, I don't consider Instagram necessarily viral. I don't consider LinkedIn necessarily viral, but you do get a lot of uh, impressions and engagement Mm -hmm. as if you were on Instagram. I'd say it's second visible now in terms of uh, impressions and uh, engagements and visibility. So uh, that's pretty exciting if you're uh, if you're a content creator and and you want to be an influencer and you want to reach out. And, and now LinkedIn's introduced, you know, video and live stream and all that. Mm. So I think they've understood the power of content creators because if you want to keep people coming back to your network, you need to have content in the newsfeed. It has to be engaging. So that's where I think Absolutely. content creators content creator becomes king. We've, yeah, we've, no, we've, we've noticed it a lot here and even shifting our strategy towards it. Mm. Um, employee advocacy, our UKMD, Katie Leeson, she's uh, launched a podcast of her own and it's been uh, very successful. I want to end on a final note um, and that is uh, something I'm sure everybody listening to this is going to be really, really interested in. How, you know, whether it's B2B or B2C, a, a, aside from product, how do you get influencers, employees, uh, content creators to fall in love with your brand to the point that they want to become advocates and maybe not in a monetary sense. Yeah. How do you get people to fall in love with you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, million, I million dollar question. <laughs> right? right? These are human relationships. You're, you can try using the same hit line over a hundred people, uh, but it, you're only going to be successful with, with a few, right? It's all about personalization. It's all about what do they value? Um, it's it's really going head over heels to uh, to to please them. It's sending them flowers every day, or you know maybe that's too much, but um, <laughs> it's it's really the same concept. These are people, and everybody works differently. Everybody's looking for something different in a relationship. You know, I have ten companies that might reach out and say, "We're going to give you lifetime access to our tool." Um, you know, check it out. And I might only use two or three of those because the other seven I don't have a use for. If mm-hmm. I might have a use for in the future, I don't know. But to be honest with you, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out of my way for something if if it's not useful for me uh, or to teach my my you know community about. So you have to realize you're not going to be successful with everybody. And the same with you know with marriage. Oh, I already have a boyfriend. I already have a girlfriend. Right? You're gonna get that some of the time, and, and you're gonna get that. <laughs> hey, I'm already working with another brand. Sorry, I have a non-complete clause. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it, that's really the you know the best advice. It's, but. Instead of, you know, trying to shortchange, we want to work with you. We're going to give you a 10% affiliate marketing income. No, that means nothing to me. And and once again, this power scale, the affiliate marketing, I'm giving you way more impressions for nothing. That's free advertising, man. That doesn't work in my world. Yeah. Oh, we're going to give you, you know, a 20% commission. Well, it, you know, it's the same thing as affiliate marketing, right? We're going to give you, you know, your choice of product up to X dollars or X euros and, you know, if you post about it, awesome. If not, we understand as well. But we'd love to at, at least get your feedback about your, your buying experience. 
you know, that's the sort of collaborative relationship that's going to help build that relationship over time. But you're not going to like meet someone today and get married tomorrow. It's not going to happen. And if it does happen and that person's purely in it for the money and I, I worry about their authenticity, right? Or that person really wants to get married really fast for some reason that I don't, I don't want to ask about. Um, <laughs> <Gold digger>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. So, yeah. And, and, you know, the problem, you know, I talked about how brands are wired differently. I mean, marketers are wired to do this one-to-many approach, right? You put one TV commercial up and it blasts out to everybody. You know, now it's getting back to sales. It's, it's a one-on-one approach, right, of working with influencers. And a lot of brands I talk to, they're like, man, you mean I have to, like, reach out to these people one by one? It doesn't scale. Yes, human relations don't scale. That's the whole point. But that's the value, right? If you can buy into that and invest the time, you're going to reap the rewards. But it's going to take some time and it's going to take some iterations. It's going to take some creativity. Um, and, and you know, the people that manage these people that are reaching out to influencers have to understand that as well and have to understand, you know, are they are they finding people? Are they reaching out to people? It's almost like a sales pipeline, which is like a, a lot of these influencer marketing tools will actually have some sort of a CRM co- um, concept you know, hey, we identified influencer, we engaged with them, we followed them, we emailed them, they responded back, we pitched them, you know, it's it's the same sort of funnel. It's a relationship funnel and it's going to be different for everybody and it, it, it's going to take some iteration because it's, it's a marriage, it's not a one night stand, right? Mm. <laughs> As, uh, in a podcast filled with loads of takeaways, Neil, that was a great takeaway. Um, I'm sure when your book is out and written, The Art of Influence will be, you know, first to get it and uh, yeah, definitely. Can't our, wait our to listeners read it. as well. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah. And so. just a shout out, I'm actually going to be out in the UK and London in October, I believe. Amazing. I teach, yeah, I teach at the Irish Management Institute every year in Dublin. Uh, it's an executive business program. They have a digital uh, marketing or digital business certification that I do a one day uh, lecture on. So uh, at that time, I, I try to like, you know, get around to London, what have you. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person there. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and everybody, I completely recommend checking out Neil's stuff because, you know, there's loads of value there. So Yeah, absolutely. Great speaking to you. Great speaking to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank See you, you again. So thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 